Hello, and welcome back to Loading Screen, a podcast where we talk about various gaming phenomena. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Tristan, and I'm John Barraza. Welcome back, everyone. And we're back to the phenomena of, you know, you go back to play an old game that you thought was great, boot it up, and it turns out they're not that fun anymore. This is episode three. Two weeks ago, we talked about classic games, retro games, our favorite games, you know, how a game becomes a classic. And then last week, we talked about actually accessing, actually playing these classics, right? You know, gaming preservation, retro hardware, emulation. So if you're just jumping in now, we would actually recommend, you know, listening to those first two episodes to get that entire picture of what we're talking about. But this episode, episode three, we're actually going to address the phenomena itself. We're going to talk about why these classic games are not fun, um, or or at least most of them. I don't think we can make a blanket statement across all classic games. Yeah, Pong Pong stands up to the test of time. <laughs> I love how we keep going back to Pong every I episode. I want that to be a little Easter egg for people who had listened to all three episodes. Yeah. Can you count how many times we reference Pong? Um <laughs> It's funny because I don't know if I brought it up in one of the recordings, but every time my friends and I used to go to PAX, PAX West, we played Pong at the retro game station. Oh, they had it there? That's fascinating. Yeah, they had like the machine with the uh, old Atari and we would do like a little tournament every time. A little Pong tournament. A little Pong tournament. And it was like the only place you can play Pong, right? Like nobody has Pong at their house. So it it was like a fun like annual tradition. Yeah, they should make a multiplayer version of Pong. I I don't know why it hasn't been done. I think they do. I think there is an arcade A live service Pong. That's what we need. (laughs) need (laughs) Feature Tristan cut this out. Nobody can steal our idea. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, so, okay, back, back to the actual topic and the actual phenomena. Um, maybe we'll start off with, you know, last episode we talked about how do you actually acquire these games? How do you play these classic games? And maybe we'll start off with our thoughts about, you know, how do they actually feel and play in this day and age? I can just start off by saying, to be honest, a lot of these games are not fun to play anymore. And... You know, I'll bring up my two favorite classic games that I always talk about that I, you know, gush about all the time. I, I think I have a, uh, a couple of tweet threads about this. One is Final Fantasy VI. It's a JRPG on the Super Nintendo. And if I were to be critical of this, the UI system is all over the place. You know, it's really hard to understand what you're trying to do, what you're changing. What do the items do? Like, the game doesn't tell you. It's often the case that you have to look these up on the internet. Yeah. Um, and I think... You brought up how you hate these, but like random battle encounters. Yeah, they're they're the worst. They're all over the place. You know, (laughs) like you haven't played Pokemon, but like, you know, if one of your characters is poisoned and you want to go back to uh, the the home center so you can heal yourself, but you you don't make it there in time and your party wipes out, you have to restart. Awful, awful experience. Um, And then the other game that I really like, Super Mario World, kind of at its core still fun to play controls feel responsive but even then there are areas where the game you know has a lot of like what i would call old crusty gameplay mechanics yeah like 
There's an inability to move quickly on the map screen. There's mandatory save points. There's a life system, but it doesn't really matter because when you run out of lives, you can just restart the game. So there's a lot of these things that, you know, feel kind of iffy when you go back. So I want to ask you the same question of like, what are some classic games? What are some retro games that you've gone back to play that didn't live up to your expectations? um, And why? Yeah, I I feel like, uh, you know, there's like a a pattern here of me not having as much experience as you when it comes to playing a lot of these classics. But my experience with classics have been less on the nostalgic side and more on the side of like hearing that it's a great classic game or like a great older game that a lot of uh, gamers recommend that I I visit for the very first time. So the the first game that kind of comes to mind for me with this is uh, Bioshock. Uh, I think Bioshock is a constantly recommended game across a lot of different forums, uh, rightfully so. And I think it's generally considered to be like one of the greatest games ever made. Um, and I and I came into it wanting to experience this as a first time player because I never got to play it when I was really young. Um, and I think like if I I just didn't enjoy the experience as much as I really wanted to, or as much as it was mm-hmm. hyped up by other gamers. And I think there's like a couple of factors for this. One is that uh, a big reason for why it was, um, you know, so groundbreaking for its time, uh, a lot of those things just don't stand up to the test of time, right? Like fundamentally, those things are extrapolated to other games and they're improved on in other games. And so by the time that we go back and v- revisit some of those games uh, yeah. as uh, with, with that, you know, uh, with time having already passed by, uh, the newness and novelty of it isn't as good. And it's worse compared to a lot of the improvements that you've experienced um, in, in in more modern games. Um, I'm also toxic in that I just can't play, <laughs> like, I just don't like vi- like less visually stimulating games. And don't get me wrong, oh, like, I was no. like, for, I, I know, I'm horrible. I, I like, it's not that like, it'll put me off of playing like an old game that's good, but I think like, it does actively it I, I just can't enjoy it, it as much because I think for me like vi- playing video games is like as much a visual experience and yeah like it's cinematic in, in in like the best games and I just kind of like like that element and so whenever I go back to like more dated graphics and stuff like that it's just not in, uh, not as enjoyable to me um, the other game that comes to mind a little bit which uh, I have a bit of nostalgia for is some of the OZ uh, uncharted games. Um, okay. I, uh, so like I said, I, I played the first Uncharted game on my original PS3 when I was super young. And mm-hmm. then I, I replayed the remasters for one, two, and three, um, yep. when I was in college on the PS4. Um, but then I also played the, the actual native PS4, uh, launch for Uncharted, which was, um, I think Uncharted it was, 4? Um, yeah, Uncharted 4 among, uh, what? Among Thieves? Remember. Among Thieves, yes. And yeah. that one is like a native game and... When, I guess my point is, like, when I played the game that was clearly more modern, uh, clearly more visually simulating, and also just, like, an improvement on a lot of the OG Uncharted 1, 2, and 3, I feel like I don't enjoy as much as 1... I don't enjoy 1, 2, and 3 nearly as much as I used to because yeah. of the fact that you clearly see how it's kind of dated, right? Not only yeah. visually, but also mechanically. There's just, like, areas where the AI isn't as good, the cover system's not as good, the level design's not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the role of, like, plot uh, in video games overall was a lot less emphasized at that time compared to, um, you know, post things like The Last of Us and things like that. Yeah. Um, Uncharted 4 has a much more... or It takes an attempt at, like, a more nuanced story than, than like, 1, 2, or 3 did. Um, don't get me wrong. They're still like great games, but I think their age age shows uh, when you kind of like go back and revisit them compared to you know when I was like a kid going back to play them. Yep. 
I, I guess point one when you said PS3, I played on the PS3 when I was super young. I just felt super old. <laughs> like, you know, that Saving Private Ryan gif of, you know, Matt Damon oh, turning God. into a grandpa. That, that was me. Yeah. Um, but second, I think you already answered the follow-up question that I had of like, how did you end up playing them, right? You know, did you play on the original hardware, remake, re- remaster? But um, it sounds like even when you played the remaster, it wasn't that great. I, I think it's less that it wasn't as great. I mean, like, it definitely wasn't. I, I think if I had the choice between playing that game and playing any of the modern games that are in my library, I would always choose the more modern games that are in my library because the experience of playing them is just fundamentally more fun than playing, like, some of the older games. If yeah. I were to go back and replay it on the PS3 with mm-hmm. its, like, more uh, dated performance and even worse, like, mechanics, I would absolutely think it was a bad game. And I, and I just, like, wouldn't have fun playing it at all. So... Overall, I think it still fits with the theme of this episode that these classics just don't age well sometimes, fundamentally. Yeah, and I think that segues us nice into the second major discussion point that we want to talk about was like, so why is it exactly, like, what are the reasons as to why old games are not fun to play? Um, And before we get to the, like, the bigger point where we'll have a bigger discussion, uh, I just want to touch really quickly on, like, at a high level, it also depends on how you play these games, right? Yeah. Um, last episode, we talked a lot about original hardware, remake remasters, emulation. And to be honest, like depending on which route you took, um, your gaming experience will be affected. So, you know, it, these are just random examples. But if you emulated the hardware, the hardware might not be able to compute the game the same way which may bring in different types of bugs or issues. Um, for remasters, similar to above, there may be some aspects that were not properly ported over um, that would cause the game to not run properly, or they may have been changes. I think last episode, you and I talked about how remakes and remasters, there's some semblance of freedom that the developers have. Uh, and and those changes may lower the quality of gameplay. Um, I, I love how I put like, Example, maybe things like battle passes, microtransactions. <laughs> uh, I, I'm excited for the Pong remaster where they add a battle pass. <laughs> you can have multiple balls. Yeah, multiple balls, multiple paddles uh, <laughs> for a low fee of uh, uh, $9.99 per month. $9.99 monthly subscription yeah. <laughs> for Pong. Um, and then finally for remakes, the creative liberty that the dev team has may fundamentally, fundamentally change the core gameplay where it's different from the original. So, you know, when you go, quote unquote, go back, it's very different. Like, as an example, let's say like The Last of Us remake that's commanded on PS5 makes it a first person shooter. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine? Um, Not great. Maybe the devs thought it was a good idea, but like, you know, it's probably going to be a a lesser experience. So um, that's like the quick point on how you play the game may change your perception and your experience. But I think we wanted to, you know, go back to the case of like, you know, apples to apples comparison. You know, Rosa playing Uncharted 1 10 years ago versus now. Why does it feel worse now? And maybe there's like, I I think there's like two, at least two main reasons that we can delve deeper into it. Um, The first of which is like a lot of games in the past, usually not updated after release. Yep. Do we want to discuss that a little more did you have thoughts on that yeah i mean like fundamentally uh 
these studios have limited resources, right? And so like uh, sometimes they're, uh, you just don't have the resources uh, available to actually update them to um, fare the test of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at most, a lot of these games are probably going to be updated for like a year or two post-launch, but realistically, um, the cycle for game development is just so fast uh, nowadays that like you have to focus on, on other things, which, which means that a lot of bugs, uh, changes in like quality of life, um, a lot of those items are just kind of preserved forever, um, and they're not really fixed. So uh, when you go back and revisit them, one, it's still frustrating that they're still there. But also, if you're a newcomer to a lot of these games, the fact that this old game has janky bugs, um, it you don't have the shield of nostalgia to protect you from from liking the game, right? Like, uh, yeah. normally you can be like, all right, that's fine. I'm like willing to put up with this. But as a newcomer, those jank, uh, which might be even more prevalent because older games, I feel like, generally have more bugs than, than, than well, I don't know. That's debatable. <laughs> they got but, more jank. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, but I, I guess the theme that we're kind of going for here is that in general, these games just haven't had the opportunity to actually be improved upon as much as it could be. And so over time, those things become, uh, you know, even more frustrating. Yeah, it, it, it's like back in the day, what you buy is literally what you get, right? Like, yeah. Nintendo's not going to come update the cartridge for you to, to you know, make it, make it a yeah. better experience. Um, I'm going off script here completely, but I wanted your thoughts on kind of, you know, I, I think there's a positive to this in terms of, you know, making things better, introducing improvements, right? Like the devs have a window to make sure that they're able to deliver an experience that they felt is, you know, up to their standards. But at the same time, there's also things around like early access, day one patches, um, I, I, I always call it like the, uh, what do you call it? No Man's Sky syndrome of yep. just wait a year after the game comes out. That so I wanted your thoughts game. on, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's like on the other side of the spectrum, do you feel like this is a good direction for the industry to go towards? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think like one thing that makes this really tricky to actually evaluate is a lot of the folks that are able to recall the games that came out back in the day and state that they, uh, theoretically came out with no bugs or whatever are still viewing them like with the lens of nostalgia. Right. And yeah. I, what I, what I haven't seen is like an actual uh, like numerical study or analysis <laughs> of like, like that's, that's what I want. What I want is like someone to look at those games when they actually came out and catalog, yeah. like these are the bugs. These are like the major game breaking things and then compare them to the games that are coming out now and be like, uh, it's actually not as bad as it used to be. Right. Uh, because I think the perception that you're touching on is truly there. Like I see a lot of gamers that have the sentiment that think modern games have a lot more bugs because uh, uh, the industry is more tolerant of them. The logic they they think that the industry can do exactly what you suggested, where you where you release a broken game, mm-hmm. uh, take all the cash from pre-orders and from you know the actual like purchases, and then use that to fix the game gradually over the time. The best example that, that you stated is like No Man's Sky. Yep. I think a lot of other big studios are are theoretically following a similar pattern, which people say, but I just don't know if that's actually as true as people say it is. Because I think another thing that makes this complicated is that games nowadays are just fundamentally more complicated than they were back in the day, right? Like not to say yep. that game development uh, was easier back then, but yep. all of the nuance of like, uh, I mean, it, networking code, right? Like more and mm-hmm. more games are moving toward like a live service model, which is technically more complicated. Um, yeah. You also just have like a higher bar for graphical fidelity and for like 
uh, just everything is much more complicated. And so the room for error pops up a lot more. I think that I'm personally willing to, like, I think I'm more tolerant of a game being released uh, with bugs here and there if Uh it doesn't take away from the overall experience of the game itself. Because I think, like, it does push the industry to, like, to have games that are more ambitious overall. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the long run, we're, we're going to benefit from that. Even if we have a few games that come out, which are not the best, like Cyberpunk, I think is the best example of this. Yeah, right? yeah. Like it came out completely broken and that took away from the experience. I think there's a balance you can kind of strike. I agree with you. I, I don't know if I'm personally more tolerant of how the industry has been moving I feel like how I view games and assess them, and this is like going back to my, you know, editor-in-chief days at Viewport, was like, if a uh, dev studio is able to kind of state their vision on what they want a game to be, yeah, and how close are they able to meet that vision, right? I think... Mm-hmm. There's like two ends of the spectrum. Uh, the, the examples that I always use is Fallout 76 <laughs> on like the poor <laughs> oh, end yes. of like Todd Howard really, really wanted a game that was multiplayer Fallout, you know, RPG, base building, all that. And when it came out, it just like did not work. And that's more yeah. of a, a meme reference of like he always says it just works. It, it did not work. <laughs> um, and then on the other hand, I think uh, a game that I felt like really lived up to standards, uh, albeit like there weren't there wasn't much uh, marketing around it, is like Baba Is You. Uh, that's an indie puzzle game. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. played it. I haven't, but uh, it's really funny. You should check it out. Um, it wanted. It, it's kind of like a mathematical ish uh, puzzle game, and it does it really well. Like. Yes, there are. I'm sure there's some bugs here, here and there, but like the core experience that they're trying to bring is mm-hmm. good. And I feel like uh, going back to your point about the technology limitations uh, in the past with retro games, classic games. Honestly, I feel like game studios were able to bring an experience that was closer to their marketing advertisements. Yeah, yeah than that's a good point. Now. Yeah, I totally buy that. And I, I think it's exactly for the reasons that you stated, right? Like they knew they didn't have the luxury of being able to improve these games post-launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like if you screwed up and you launched a bad game, it had a much more significant impact and a longer lasting impact on your studio uh, perception, right? And the yeah. likelihood of anyone else buying a game from your studio again in, in, in the future was was much lower. So I think right. there was just more at, more at stake there. Um, but it is like a call out though, because I think there's like there's some pretty great examples where it's been taken to an extreme recently, which is really disappointing. Um, yeah. Anthem, Cyberpunk, uh, all of those recent launches, which for people came from studios which were really beloved. Um, Mass Effect, uh, yeah. like a lot of these came from studios which a lot of gamers have a lot of nostalgia for, um, and so it's kind of sad to see them lean on this uh, crutch of oh we'll patch it, oh we'll patch it, um, which is sad. I don't know. I I feel like this is a separate phenomena in of itself of like yeah. really digging into big game studios that have changed over time. And this is like super topical, but like there was a news article today about how Rockstar had this, had spent the past four years just like changing their development culture and their company culture mm-hmm. so that they can build GTA six properly. 
And I feel like that's a missing point of like whenever we, you know, shit on EA or Blizzard or some of these like really mainstay long term game studios that have honestly not been doing well um, recently. Yeah. I don't think there's a fair assessment of how these studios have changed over time, just like how the gaming industry have changed over time. I, I, I don't think it's a fair way to assess these studios, but that's like completely off topic. I feel. Yeah. There's also the, all the other off topic uh, factor of like gaming uh, developer crunch. Right? Yeah. Like I can't, I don't know how it's changed since inception, but there's definitely a lot more attention to it now. And I think a risk of, the uh, the newer approach to video gaming of like oh we'll patch it later um, I don't know I don't know if it puts less strain on on developer crunch or if it puts more strain on developer crunch because the goals are too ambitious for launch um, which just makes devs work way way harder than they should be for a lot of these games. This is a data point of one, but I think Cyberpunk like CJ uh, CD Project Red CJ Project Red. Um, <gasps> Uh, CD Projekt Red, if I remember correctly, they told their developers that we are entering a crunch mode before launch. That's wild. And then I think they were just in like perpetual crunch mode as they were yeah. patching everything afterwards after. Yeah, it's a pretty common pattern, right? I mean, uh, even Naughty Dog got a lot of flack for it for The Last of Us Part Two. Um, mm-hmm. There was, uh, I, I think, a, an article written on Kotaku um, which kind of went into it. Uh, Santa Monica had the same issue with God of War. Um, I think like there's definitely more attention paid to it now, but it's a very real. We could t- talk about that for another three episodes, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let, let me just stay on this for a little bit longer. I, I think I wanted to talk, uh, like, just bring up the point that, like, the three example studios that you brought up. I I think if you think about the outcome. I feel like Santa Monica and Naughty Dog got the long end of the stick yeah. in the sense that like their games were at least successful, right? The games like, were very successful. Yeah. Like you and I are in the workforce. It feels nice when you release something that, you know, people like and yeah. you, know, you, you get recognized for. I like I have so much sympathy for people at CD Project Red where yeah. they crunch their ass off, they release it and then it just gets like yeah. worldwide pan yeah no it was it was a horrible response I, and it's a similar thing happened to anthem and mass effect right like mm-hmm. there's a lot of passion put into these games and when they end up badly it's i can't imagine uh how how like devastating that would be um yeah i think the the thing that makes this more complicated is uh there is like some people who think that um eventually a studio that over leans on grunge will transition to a studio to, to be the same as uh, like CD Projekt Red, right? Like if you over rely on this ability to fix games after launch and you just yep. think like, okay, yeah, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. That eventually leads to games which are just too broken at launch, right? Like right. there is a world where in the future, um, Naughty Dog or Santa Monica are building games that are just way too broken because yep. they burnt out their, their devs way too much. Um, which I think like will eventually bounce back when hopefully game developers unionize. Um, but it is we're in a weird place right now with the industry, which is kind of interesting to watch play out. Yeah, and I mean it's like painful for everyone. I think this that's the sad part. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. We've gotten so distracted from the main focus of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's rein it back. Let's bring it back. Okay, so what yeah. question were we on? We were talking about why playing classic games are not as fun anymore in the modern era. Yeah. You know, and, and point number one is that a lot of new games now could be updated. So uh, old games, kind of their as-is uh, upon release, and they're missing a lot of bug fixes, you know, quality of life improvements, and yeah. we just have to deal with that when we play them. Yeah. Um, I think the second thing, and you know, we we basically touched upon it as we had this long discussion, is the fact that the gaming industry obviously has continued to evolve since 1970s, and there have been a lot of improvements that have been main, made to the genres of games, right? Like. Yep. I think you brought up the fact that games have gotten more complex. Um, you know, maybe they're multi-genre or they're they're trying out new things. And I, you know, classic games have done that too. And the fact that the industry has learned and understood what are the standards, what what is the golden standard in terms of making an open world game, in terms of making a first person shooter, um, makes older games feel dated. Yeah, and I I think like. Uh, it's it's like going back to watch an old TV show or like an old comedian that you loved, right? Like you just don't find them as funny anymore because the style of humor is just fundamentally outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like as uh, genres evolve, the mechanics that were staples in the past just age to the point where they're like not fun anymore, right? Like yeah. uh, one concrete example I can think of this is like going back to play Skyrim again, Um which is like still a great game, who's, which has been released every year for the last like <laughs> like thirty five years at this point. Um, but I think like when you compare it to like the more improved approach for open world games of Elden Ring, of Breath of the Wild, um, a lot of the things that it kind of leans on for navigation, for climbing, all that kind of stuff, those yeah. just don't. They're not as fun anymore. Um, which is which takes away from a lot of the magic that we felt playing those games as kids when like everything was amazing, no matter what. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of it was probably due to her age, but this, I, I guess the other thing is like these classic games at that time were doing revolutionary. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They set the groundwork, right. But yeah. eventually the groundwork becomes old. <laughs> yeah. Or just like avoided. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think a concrete example that I, I always think of is Ocarina of Time and the C button camera control. Oh my god, that is so bad. I, what is I, this? Uh, Ocarina of Time was on the N sixty four, right? So mm-hmm. the N sixty four controller um, had C buttons, like it didn't have a second thumbstick. Um, oh. or, or I guess Mario Super Mario sixty four is a better example. So it's like. Uh, instead of a second thumbstick, they had just bu- directional buttons. Gotcha. And that is how you control your camera. But since buttons are analog and not digital, right? It's like a binary, you press it yeah. or not. When you press the button, it's like it turns the camera by a very set Oh my God, amount, that's right? horrible. Yeah, so like, yes, at that time, Super Mario 64 was your first ever 3D Mario game. This is amazing. This is so cool. You can move the camera. But now you go back and you're like, oh, my God, I can't. I want to look at this thing and I cannot control the camera to do so. Yeah, yeah. And I guess this kind of leans on the last point as well to some degree. But sometimes these limitations are just purely technical, right? Like it just wasn't possible to do some of the higher fidelity and like more nuanced approaches that are possible nowadays. 
Um, and so when you go back, it, it mechanically doesn't feel fun to play any of these games, even beyond the point of like bugs and stuff like that. You just like don't enjoy what it, what it feels like to actually play the game itself. Right. And, and I think that kind of brings us back to the point we had last time of digging deeper into remakes and remasters. Something that these uh, newer versions do is mapping it to the new technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hopefully if they remade Super Mario 64 on the Switch, yeah. like the, the, the second thumbstick would be a better camera control scheme than the buttons. Yeah, uh, Demon Souls is another example of this. I think the mm-hmm. OG Demon Souls, you can only roll in a set direction, same as the camera movements. You can't yeah. roll like to the top left. You can only go left, right, up, or back. Ah. Um, whereas in, in the newer Demon Souls game, they, they like, got rid of that to where you just like roll in any direction, which is a commonplace in every game nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. But back in the days, it just like wasn't. Yeah, it just wasn't possible. Yeah, I, I think you said it before of like the industry standard keeps changing, right? Yeah. The yeah. industry standard for a uh, Souls-like game at this point is like you should be able to roll in any direction. If you release yeah. a game now where it's like, you know, four directional rolling, it's probably going to get a pretty bad score. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I put in a joke saying, imagine Super Mario World with a battle pass. My, <laughs> my ongoing theory is at some point, every single game will have a battle pass. Oh god, that'd be really, really depressing. I think there's always going to be a space for non. I don't know. I guess it depends on who's calling the shots at these at these uh, uh, studios. Whether mm-hmm. it's the men in the suits or the developers making the game, I say that while being a man in the suit uh, <laughs> at every company I work at. Um, I had a complete aside here, um, maybe related aside of why. Does the industry, why is the industry so adamant on grading games on objective numbers? Right? I think the point of what we're talking about here is the standards change, our expectations get higher. And the fact that a lot of outlets, um, you know, including the one I ran or, you know, IGN or I don't think Polygon does this anymore. Is uh, is grading games on a ten point a uh, hundred point scale seems to be a little bit weird, and, and the examples that I put is like, would we grade the Mona Lisa out of ten? <laughs> right? Would we I mean, review the Roman Colosseum out of ten? I feel like there's a couple of factors, and uh, like some of them are good, some of them are bad. I think like the difference between games versus uh, like art is that like games are you're just naturally going to expose yourself to less games. Mm-hmm. Right, like the only way to actually experience a game in its fullest is to purchase a game, have the console, and then go out and play it. So it's like a limited right. thing, right? Fundamentally, I can go and look at a photo of the Mona Lisa, and like generally, if I want, like, <laughs> sure, it's not the same as going to see the Mona Lisa, yeah. But it's not like a limited good, right? Like I can just yeah. consume it, and generally, it's fine. I think like a parallel here is movies, right? Like we still grade movies and TV shows with a numerical score, which stood out of a hundred for the most part. Yeah, that's um, true. The thing is, like, I think the market like, you have to give a way for people to evaluate whether it's worth spending your money in. I think mm-hmm. what's really interesting is the way that it's turned into it's like actively gamed, right? Like, um, there's some very valid criticisms online of the way that people review these things, of, and the fact that when you look at the actual uh, distributions, the yeah. average game rating is like a eight 
or yeah, like, it's like seven or eight. Point, yeah, but yeah, 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 it's yeah. like massively high, which clearly doesn't make sense because that means that every game is above average, which just isn't true, right? Um, and so like there is other factors at play with regards to the fact that like if you rate it badly, then the studios may not give you the review unit, which is less views, which is less money. Yeah. Um, which really sucks, but yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of capitalism seeping in there. Yeah, um, I do wonder how this has changed from when like games were first released, right? Like, um, I don't know if we're again like looking at the past through roast into glasses, but I wonder whether like how the evaluation of video games was like when video games first came out, right? Like, was it just articles? Was it people uh, writing about them in like less of a numerical fashion um, versus like now where like every publication practically has reviews of video games all the time because it's such a massive industry? Um, I. Yeah. I think, um, so I, I pulled up this Polygon article from 2014 where they charted the average Metacritic review score, like from mm-hmm. outlets, against user scores uh, over 13 years. And you can clearly see that the average has kind of remained consistent around the 70 mark that we discussed. Yeah. And then you can see that the user score has dropped from 80 to like 67. That's really interesting, actually. It's also kind of like merged with the review score to some degree. Like there's more deviation still, but I think there was more deviation in the past than there is now. Yeah. And I I wonder what the random dip at 2007, 2008 was. I wonder if it was a financial (laughs) crisis. Everything went down during the financial crisis, even video game reviews. (laughs) (laughs) What, what's hilarious. your what's your favorite video game of 2007 i don't I think don't, i even, I don't even remember. remember any game yeah uh let's see what came out uh bioshock came out supposedly oh. i thought it was 2006 no it's a 2007 game super mario galaxy came out call of duty modern warfare assassin's creed Portal. actually 2008 was also a great year it was called uh, it was grand theft auto 4 fallout yeah. 3 uh metal gear solid Call of Duty, Little Big Planet, Death's Fate. There's some good games. What happened? I don't know what happened. Fable 2, Incredible Hulk. That was a great game. I loved the Incredible Hulk. Um oh here. I, I pulled up a uh I pulled up a sorry sorry listeners. I'm gonna try to fix this uh in in, in Dude, this podcast has just turned into me and you talking. Yeah, it's gone off <laughs> it's gone off the rails. It's gone really off the rails. Um, so I pulled up one that was more recent. I saw this on Reddit. That's how I remembered it. So there's three images here, and I will link this in the description if I remember. Um, so they charted the average Metacritic score across all consoles from 2000 to 2022. And uh, as you can see, the critic score actually went up. It dipped a little bit, but it's been climbing up. Yeah. And then the user score has just been going lower and lower. <laughs> Um, honestly, I think a lot of this has to go with like review bombing and yeah. all that, but it's interesting to see. And then there's a second photo, um, which is average user score by console. And honestly, like all the console scores have been going down. So there's no surprise there. Um, and the same thing with critic score by console, it's just been going up. So Nintendo has been the only one that's, that's been kind of stable. It's gone down, but definitely not as much as the other ones. Also, I feel like Nintendo, like games on Nintendo consoles aren't 
as plentiful like don't quote yep. me on this um aren't as plentiful as other consoles so yeah. that might have to do with it they also just released the same game for three f- consoles oh god <laughs> yeah and and also like the fan base for nintendo is pretty oh god i'm gonna get eaten alive but like you know they're, they're i guess they're biased i don't think that's a, that's a <gasps> there's a lot of nostalgia of in in these games yeah put it nicely yeah yeah but i, I think to your point like going back to objectively reviewing rating games, the lack of like real calibration, it looks like it's getting worse, right? Like yeah. the fact that a lot of people rely on critic scores and ratings to make a purchase decision. And, you know, my friends do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. And which really annoys me. They're like, uh, I was really excited for this game. I read the critic score. I'm not going to buy it. I'm like, why don't you just make have your own opinion? But that you know that that's a digression. Um, I think one other factor is games are getting more expensive, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, like you literally can't purchase as many as you could back in the day to some degree. Right. Um, like I don't average for this generation, they're seventy dollars. Right, you buy three games, that's basically the cost of the console itself. Yeah. Um, so people are more judging them more harshly because they have to. They have they, they're going to play less games over the course of a year to some degree. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or they were kids when they were their parents were just paying for the video games back in the day. Now we're adults; we have to pay for our own video games. We realize how much life is a lie. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Loading Screen, a video game <laughs> podcast where we talk about various gaming phenomena. Uh, um, where were we? Let's rerail. Where were we? Uh, we were talking about how. The industry has evolved and the standards have changed. Um, I'm reading over my notes here. I, I think I just had a couple examples, and we talked about a couple of these already, of like how the bar has been raised in terms of what we expect from games. You know, one of which I brought this up at the beginning, random random battle encounters. Um, I think in a lot of JRPGs now you can just turn this off. Right? I oh, think, that's interesting. I think prior this was something that game developers had added to honestly like pad out their games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nowadays going back to some of the points that you brought up, like visual aspects, story, gameplay, that's where a lot of the expectations are. So there's no need to have random battles to pad out your, um, completion time length, I guess. Yeah. Um, another good one is safe points and lives. Yeah. What is the last game that you played had a that had a life system? <laughs> uh, I feel like it's like Hades or something like that. Um, that I guess in Dark Souls you system, only right? have one life. Well, what happens if, if you die? I mean, like you kind of go back to the beginning of the game to some degree. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's not permadeath. It's yeah. definitely not. I mean, do you remember any games back in the days that were permadeath by default? I mean, a lot of like super, uh, NES games are permadeath in the sense that, like, if you die, you just start from all the way from the beginning. Oh wow, that's crazy! I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, that wouldn't fly nowadays. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people were used to that back in the day too, because they wouldn't have a save card, mm-hmm. and so they would just start the game. Like I remember before I had a I, I had a PS2 without a memory card, and so I yep. would just literally restart madagascar the game over and over again every time i wanted to replay it it just didn't have a a memory card you didn't just leave your ps2 on forever 
No, I didn't even. <laughs> no, God, we were immigrants. imagine trying to play like Metal Gear Solid without a memory card. You just like I did. I had Metal on. Gear Solid. I oh replayed the first level over and over again. Oh my God. Yeah, no, not fun. That's insane. Um, going back a bit, I think the things that stick out the most for me are a lot of just like the um, the quality of life improvements that have been made. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've kind of standardized the way that like UI should look. Uh, yeah, and. The fact that like higher resolution screens allow the UI to literally take up less less space on the screen, right? Like I look mm-hmm. at the UI for Dark Souls two and three, and the fact that like I don't know thirty percent of the screen is taken up with, <laughs> with 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 elements, whereas like nowadays the fact that it's just lower res, it, you can or higher res, you can see more. Um, there's tutorials. There's like changing, being able to like change game difficulties. There's higher, more granularity when it comes to choosing the difficulty in the games. A yeah. lot of the recent ones, like The Last of Us and uh, Forbidden West, they allow you to change every element of difficulty to yeah. um, like looting for for things to uh, like enemy aggression to how many hits it takes to kill you. Um, I think over time, a lot of those quality of life things become the standard. And if you go back and you lose those, it's literally, even if the game and the story is fun, those quality of life things have a tangible effect on what it feels like to play these games. Yeah, I I agree with you. And it it, it becomes like a gamer's expectation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, if I can't change my UI, I'm going to be like, oh, oh my God, (laughs) right? I, I can't play this. The most subtle one that's been affecting me recently is uh, using a non-PS5 like haptics controller. Um, uh, I've gotten so used to having the like responses and the fact that like the triggers are responsive and everything is yeah. like so hypersensitive that when I go back to play my PS4 or if my like my my PS5 controller glitched a couple days ago and none mm-hmm. of them none of the stuff was working and it genuinely pulled me out of the game for a little bit um not to the point where i couldn't enjoy the game anymore but i think like the more i use it um going back to like old controller is genuinely not as fun because the controllers have just kind of aged with time too they're less they're less ergonomic they're less functional they're lower quality they break more easily um yeah did you like the uh ps3 six axis uh, I don't think I liked it very much. The PS, I definitely preferred the PS4 one. It was just uh-huh. like it just felt better in the hand. The PS5 one is the best control I think I've ever used. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I wish it had back paddle buttons like the uh, yeah, like some other. I, I they think really the Xbox weirdly, does that. They really weirdly released optional back paddles for the PS4 controller right before the PS5 came out. It was really strange. It was just this like last minute launch for the PS4 controller. Mm. Uh, but they didn't release it for the PS5 controller. It was like a plug-in back paddle, which was super cheap. Oh, like, yeah, okay. it was pretty interesting. I'm it was sure like a, a total aside. I think that actually wraps it up, right? Like we yeah. talked about the phenomenon at hand, which is you go back to play a classic game and it's not that fun. And we discussed why that is the case. And I think at a high level, a lot of the reasons as to why is actually a good thing. Right, I would like, say so. It means the industry is continuing to evolve and improve, and games are getting better. Right, like I feel like that's a good thing in general. Things are getting better. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, I guess my question for you is like uh, we've listed like a bunch of reasons why I think I get, I'm still questioning whether we should recommend people even do this. Right, like do we recommend people try out old classic games, especially if you're like iffy on video games? Like, is that an experience that is worth trying out? 
given the investment it can sometimes incur? Uh, or do we generally think like, you know what, it's totally fine if you decide not to ever try out a classic game. Um, am I making sense? Yeah, I I think I, my notes here kind of address that, hopefully. I think what I put here is, one, if you really want to approach classic games in its original format, you have to do so with like, you know, rosy glasses, right? Yeah. Go, go into it with the expectation that Things are going to be a little bit uh, rough, right? You're not going to get the same type of gaming experience, quote unquote, um, as you would do with modern games. And you should go into it with the expectation that you you want to kind of experience the game at that time era or yeah. during that era. So if you're not willing to do that, I think some of the things that we talked about around remakes and remasters that is the best way to jump into these games. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I, I also do think like it is a bit more cheaply accessible nowadays with um, uh, things like the recent PS subscription option where you can just play things to the cloud. Um, if you want to try it out, I think like we would encourage people to try it out because I think it can be nice to see the history of it all and like where mm-hmm. the foundations came from. At the same yeah. time, if you decide you never even want to try and you just don't care, that's fine. That's not the end of the world. You can still experience modern gaming in in the fullest without without trying it, these classics out. Yeah. Uh, actually, this is not in my notes. I just thought of this. I feel like there's one aspect where... Uh, I guess like classic games versus modern games, it hasn't evolved too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like relative to other things that have improved, which is like storytelling. In the sense that like if you play Metal Gear Solid 3, the story and the twists and, and kind of how the story's told yeah. is pretty good even compared to modern standards. I think that's valid, but I think the bar was lower back there. And, and I think you're less guaranteed to get that with older games. Because I feel like it was still games like The Last of Us that set a bar to where nowadays games are actively evaluated on their narrative. Yeah, And it's it's seen as like a ding if you don't have that. Whereas I think back in the day, it was like, a, oh, they had a cool narrative. But it definitely yeah. wasn't like one of the major focuses for why people play video games. Um I agree. I guess what I was trying to say is like, if you pick a classic game that was known and renowned for its storytelling, you, you might get over the crusty bits because like the story yeah. is still enjoyable. Yeah, totally. I still want to play Bioshock at some point um, from beginning to end. Cause I do think it's like consistently called out as being like a great video gaming story. Yeah. Um, and, Wait, and do you I know the it, spoiler already? I'm not going to spoil it, but do you do do you know why? I know like a mild spoiler, but not the big one. I think okay, so. I okay. probably yeah, no, no. They should the go thing. back and play it. Yeah, I really want to play it. Honestly, it scares the crap out of me. That's one of the big <laughs> reasons. It's just too scary of a game, man. You're like underwater. You got like screaming things. People yeah. coming at you with like claws. It's just I. You know, I don't do well with scary games. Right. Returnal. Yeah. Oh my god. Returnal. You mean I return can't. the game? <laughs> uh, for listeners, Tristan once bought me Returnal when he was drunk. Uh, and he paid $70 to buy me this game that I played for an hour and a half and stopped because I was too scared to keep going. It's okay. It's a great game. A lot of respect for it. I just yeah. don't, I don't have, I don't, I'm too, I'm too much of a wuss. 
We need we need to go back and play that co-op mode. I think we talked about doing so and then we never did yeah. it. Yeah, no, I need to give it a go again. I think if I do it in broad daylight with the windows <laughs> open, like I'll be I should be okay. Um, okay, you know what? Don't play don't play Bioshock. There there are certain moments where you will you may die. Yeah, I remember. Well, I remember there was some scenes that were just jump scares. And yeah. I was like, why am I doing this? Especially with like surround sound, 3D audio and all that crap. It's like, dude, this is not a good idea. <laughs> Um, okay, we've strayed again. Um, we, we are so far away. But to wrap it up, I, I think you know our TLDR is in terms of games that aren't as fun to play anymore. Most of it's because like the industry has evolved, and if you want to approach these classic games, we would recommend one Pong. of two things. We would recommend Pong. We would recommend Pong. Go out there, <laughs> get your Atari Twenty Six Hundred and a copy of Pong. Um, I love how I even have Pong in the notes here. <laughs> playing pong right now isn't that mind-blowing oh that's so funny uh anyways two options if you want to experience kind of like the uh the original game experience from that era go get the actual original hardware software the av equipment try it out and if you want to experience something that you know meets today's standards and there's a remaster slash remake available go do that instead uh you're not really missing out by not um playing the original version Cool. So that wraps up our first phenomena of the season. So uh, the focus for the next couple episodes are something I wanted to to dive deeper into, which is uh, the actually the, the perception and portrayal of video games in popular culture. Um, I, uh, I think I came upon this while just thinking about all the conversations I've had with my parents and all the cliches that are kind of out there about video games. And so uh, Tristan and I kind of wanted to talk through, you know, uh, how people have historically perceived this, uh, uh, you know, historically perceived video games for for some time since they really first came out, and then um, actually take a step back and do a very honest evaluation of where video games kind of stand right now, right? Like why uh, why do we want listeners to try them out, and uh, why do we think that if we had to call out cons, what are those cons, and like what mm-hmm. are some of the things that have to change? Um, in the industry, in the community, um, less of a phenomenon, but uh, I think it was an important topic. I think for us to dive into. Yeah, I guess the phenomena itself is just video games. Yeah, That's the yeah, <laughs> yeah. The phenomena is them being evil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us for the first phenomena, and we will catch you next week where we talk about video game perception. As always, I've been your host, joined by Raza. Thanks, everyone. See you guys next week. See you guys next week.